I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in two different passages. The first one is Psalm 146, and the second one is Titus chapter 3. Now, maybe you're not familiar with where these two books of the Bible are located, so let me give you some hints. Let me give you some guidance on how to find them. If you're in a physical Bible, uh, open up to the table of contents. Now, uh, in the table of contents, you'll notice that there are two main sections to the Bible. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Psalm, uh, the book, uh, Psalm 146, that is in the Old Testament and Titus is in the New Testament. Psalm is a right in the middle of the list of the books of the Old Testament. So look at that long list of books in the Old Testament. Psalm's right in the middle. Go to that uh, book and then scroll through till you get to chapter 146. It's right towards the end. Uh, now Titus is in the New Testament. Uh, it's just past the halfway point of the list of books in the New Testament. So both of these books are kind of midway through their, uh, uh, their sections. So 140, Psalm 146 and Titus chapter 3. Now, if you're in an app, uh, here's what I would encourage you to do. Psalm, uh, the book of Psalms is just right around a little past the one-third mark in the long list of books of the Bible. And Titus is just a little ways past three quarters of the way down that list. So I hope that helps you find and locate uh, those two books of the Bible. Now, I'll tell you what, I love apples. They're delicious. It, you can pull one out of the fridge and you can eat it straight or, or you can slice it up. But I just love how sweet uh, and crispy apples are. <laughs> But this isn't an apple. This is a pineapple. And, and I'll tell you this, I do love pineapples. I, I mean, I love the flavor. I love the texture. I, I love that play that pineapples have between being sweet, but, but also being tart. Pineapples are so delicious. But here's the thing about pineapples. I'm allergic to them. If I was to slice up this pineapple and eat it, the back of my throat, my lips would start getting itchy. They would start swelling. Uh, I would probably survive. I don't have a severe allergy, but I haven't eaten an ap pineapple in years and years. So I can't guarantee that, that I would be fine. I may have, my allergy to pineapples may have, has, maybe it's grown, maybe it's gotten worse. If I was to eat this pineapple, there's a slight chance I would put, be putting my life on the line. But, but no matter what, if I ate this pineapple, I would for sure get sick, get, get, discomfort, get, get uncomfortable. My, my throat would swell. I would have some difficulty breathing. And so pineapples are not my friend. This is not a fruit that I get to sit and eat, even though I love it, even though I, I love the taste. This is forbidden. In a way, you could say it's poisonous to me. It would do damage. It would hurt me. And so we're continuing in our series called uh, Church and Culture. And in this series, we've been discussing what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in a culture that may not like followers of Jesus all that much. And we've been talking for the last few weeks about counterfeit fruit. In other words, those those ideas, those ideologies, those emotions that tend to deceive us 
away from truly following Christ in the culture where we, we desperately need to follow Christ wholly and truly. Uh, and uh, also we end up producing in our life. That's, that's the reference to fruit. We've talked about fear, how we produce fear in our minds and our hearts, whether it be from our own concerns and anxieties and worries, or whether it comes from the outside, something that's influencing us to be fearful. Last week, we talked about uh, moralism and legalism, how you can't be good enough to get yourself into heaven. You know, doing the right thing, being a moral person is something that Jesus calls us to do, but it doesn't save us. It doesn't bring us salvation. And so many people are deceived in today's world by believing that they can get their way into heaven just because they're a good person or they, they donate money or they, they serve the poor or whatever that may be. And it's simply not true. It's not what you do, it's who you know. Only through a life-changing relationship in Jesus can you have eternal life. And today is our last day of talking about counterfeit fruit. And today I wanna talk about the counterfeit fruit of politics. This is a, a huge issue in our society today, especially in our American society. And can I be transparent for a moment? Can I, I just need to say, I'm exhausted from all of the division that politics and political views have brought to this world and this country. It, it breaks my heart to hear so many accounts of people who tell me that they've, they've have their, their connection, their relationship with someone, family members uh, or, or church family or friends, whoever it may be, that their, their relationship has become broken or has become difficult because their political views differ from the person that they have the relationship with. You know, it's sad. Politics should never affect our relationships. Politics should not be something that divides people relationally. Let me just say this, if your political views are more important than your relationships with family, friends, and church family, then that political ideology or those political views have become an idol in your life. Politics has, uh, Government has value, don't get me wrong, we're gonna discuss this in, here in just a moment, but your faith in Christ and relationship with others is immensely more important than your political views and opinions. And it, it just breaks my heart to see that so many people would prefer maintaining and aggressively uh, defending their political views rather than loving people in the name of Jesus. It's sickening. It's exhausting. Too many people have made politics and opinions more important than people and more important than being obedient to God and his word. I mean, how many, there's so many people who, who are more than willing to compromise their obedience to Christ over some ideology that they believe politically. And that's not the way it's call, we're called to live. 
Uh, and in turn, many have deceived others into this idolatry. And we, we produce this counterfeit fruit and it's destructive. It, it, it brings destruction to the world around us, to the people around us and to ourselves. And I'm gonna go ahead and, and bring out my, my big idea right now uh, because it, it, it fits right now and it, it, it feeds into what we're gonna be talking about through the rest of this morning's message. But uh, if you've listened to one of my messages, you know that I usually give one main point, one, one big idea that kind of sums up the main drive, the main direction of that week's message. And today's big idea is this. Counterfeit fruit is a poisonous product designed to deceive. You see, just like this pineapple, if I was to eat this pineapple, it would poison me because I'm allergic to it. In, in a certain way, there's something, there's a, there's a chemical inside of this delicious fruit that poisons my body. And counterfeit fruit is the same. The counterfeit fruit that we receive, that we believe, or that wells up within us, it looks really good. It smells really good. It tastes really good. It seems like it would be beneficial, beneficial for us to embrace, but it has been intentionally designed this way by the devil to deceive us, to destroy us from the inside. And in that destruction, counterfeit fruit ends up doing damage or destroying the people around us as well because we end up, whether we like it or not, we end up deceiving other people through the counterfeit fruit that we have embraced and that we produce as a result. And we must be careful about counterfeit fruit. So today we're talking about the counterfeit fruit of politics, of trusting in government. Um, and I think today I just wanna spend some time unpacking what the Bible actually says about politics and government. Because there's a lot of uh, ideas about what people think it should say. There are a lot of beliefs within uh, Christian circles about uh, what our, our, our interaction should be on the political realm. And they may seem wise and they may seem logical, but, but the Bible does actually give us a lot of instruction. And so I wanna focus on what the Bible actually says, not the opinions of people, not the viewpoints of some preacher over in here or over there. I wanna just focus on what this book tells us. And so take your Bibles or your apps, and today I want you to turn to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. What does the Bible actually say about the government, politics, how we interact with them? Uh, whether we support or we don't support, let's take a look at the purity of God's word on, in the, on this topic. So Psalm 146, we're gonna read the whole thing, but we're gonna read it in, in, in small chunks. So, so look with me, starting in verse one. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. 
When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now stop there for a second. Look at what this says. And this is not the only place in God's word where this instruction is given. This is just one of the very clear, and, and you'll see why here in a moment, very clear and concise and, and upfront ideas or teachings from the Bible about not trusting in princes and politics and governments. Because here's the thing, according to this passage, we don't put our trust in princes because first off, they cannot provide us salvation. You know, the, the next election is gonna come and go and salvation is not going to be affected by that. The reality is, is that God's gonna do what he's gonna do with, with the governments of the world. And we're gonna see that here in just a moment. So, so they cannot bring salvation and they are temporary. You know, just a, a couple years ago, we had a Republican president and now we have a Democratic president. And you can have your opinions about either one of them, but they both will come and go. They're not permanent. God is the only one who is eternal. And so if we place our trust in these temporary men and women, they will ultimately let us down. But let's keep looking at what else it says. Instead of trusting in princes and governments, Look at what the rest of this Psalm says about what God will do rather than trusting in the government to do these things. Pick up with me in verse five. It says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose help is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners, the, the foreigners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. Now, now that passage from verses five through nine, that's a lot of stuff that, that we lean into for the government to do. And rightly so, we're gonna see elsewhere in scripture where God ordains governments in order to do these things. In other words, the governments end up being his instruments in order to achieve what we just read here in verses five through nine. But it's, the God who, it's God who makes those things happen. The government or the politician uh, or, or the president or the, the, the prime minister or whoever, those are simply his instruments for his plan and his purposes. So we depend on him. But then look at how this Psalm ends. Verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. You see, we can trust in God because he's almighty, he's all-knowing, and he is eternal. He is forever. Governments will come and governments will go. Presidents will come and go. Politicians, congressmen, mayors, governors, they are all temporary. It is only God who reigns forever. So 
What else does the Bible say? If you're a note taker, I would encourage you to get your pen and paper ready because I'm gonna give you many passages, uh, little pieces from all over God's word that instructs us about government and politics and all these things. Already, we've read Psalm 146 and that Psalm tells us that our trust should not be in government. Don't put your trust in princes, but instead place your trust in God and what he will do. But what else does the Bible say? The Bible says this. The Bible says that God is the one who puts politicians in their places or, or puts governments in their places, gives, gives uh, politicians or, or governments their power. So here's the first passage. Daniel chapter two, verse 21. It says, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel chapter two, verse 21 tells us very clearly that it is God who places kings and presidents and politicians and governments in their places. And he is also the one who brings them down, who takes them out of those positions. You know, we can talk about being a, democratic republic all we want, but the reality is, is God's the one who is placing those different government authorities in their positions. It's not us. We're his instruments that he uses to place them there. You need to go vote when it's your time. Go vote, go, go be God's instrument in that. But ultimately, and we're gonna see this more here in just a moment, it's God who places who he wants for his purposes in those positions. Next passage, same idea. God is the one who puts uh, governments and people within governments in their places. Romans 13, one. If you wanna know how to interact with the government and, and what to do, go read Romans 13, verses one through seven. But here's how this passage begins. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Guys, this is black and white. There's no gray area in what the Bible says about this. Every person who is in authority in your life, whether it be a politician, a governor, mayor, congressman, president, whoever, a judge, they have been placed there by God for his purposes. Good or bad in a, in, as, as to how it affects us, but God is the one who puts them there, okay? So that's the first idea, or, or the second idea. Don't put your trust in government. That's what Psalm 146 said. Then we looked at two passages that tell us very clearly, black and white, and there are many others that say the same thing, but these two passages tell us that it is God who places the government and the, the people of the government in their positions. So thirdly, God controls the direction of the government as well. Listen to what Proverbs 21 verse one says. Proverbs 21 verse one, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, there are repeated accounts 
of scenarios, situations, uh, play, things that happen throughout the history uh, recorded in the Bible where God moved a king, moved his decision-making, moved his desires or what he wanted for God's purposes. God, God is the one who directs the governments to do what they want. And, and please hear me, you may not like the direction that things are going, but that's not for you to decide. God is doing something much bigger than, than you. God has a plan for this entire world. And sometimes that plan includes difficulty for, follow, for the followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, we're guaranteed as a follower of Jesus, you're guaranteed to be persecuted. And where do you think a lot of that persecution is going to end up coming from? It's going to come from the government. Whether you like it or not, that's part of how God has orchestrated history and where he is taking the world. Next, we've talked about don't trust in government. We've talked about how God puts the people in the government and how God controls the direction of the government. Fourthly, submit to and honor those government authorities that God has placed over us. So Titus chapter three, verse one. Again, uh, we're gonna come back to this passage. We're gonna read verses uh, th one through nine here uh, towards the end of this morning's message. But, but listen to how this passage begins. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Just a few minutes ago, we read Romans 13, 1 that begins by saying, let every person be subject, be submissive to the governing authorities. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 14 says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should be put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That's a strong statement coming from Peter. You know, here in 1 Peter chapter 2, he is instructing us to submit to the emperor, to the government. And, and in Peter's day, the emperor, the, the governing authorities were, were not friendly to Christians. And just a few years after this is written, the government is going to actively hunt down Christians and persecute them and even kill many of them. And yet Peter says to obey and submit to them, to even to honor them in verse 17. So don't trust the government, uh, trust God instead. Don't place your faith is a better way to say that. Don't place your faith in the government, place it in God. Secondly, God puts the people in the government. Thirdly, God controls the direction of the government. Fourthly, God commands us to submit and honor the government and the officials in the government, whether we like them or not, whether they persecute us or not. And fifth, we are commanded to pray for the government and its leaders. 
Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're called, we're commanded to pray for our government leaders. We should be praying for them regularly and praying for God's will to be done in and through them. So there's a lot that the Bible has to say about government and politics. And I said that this is the last uh, in this little sub-series about counterfeit fruit. Uh, You know, this idea that there are things in this life that look really like the real thing, or they may look like, uh, it may, it's something that makes sense or is, is a good idea or is wise, but that God's word says is a counterfeit to the real thing. Now, we've talked about fear and moralism and legalism and politics and how all of those things look good or maybe there's something that we want, but in reality, they are poisonous to our spiritual health. But what does the Bible say about how we live? Starting next week, we're gonna jump away from counterfeit fruit and we're gonna start talking about radical faith. Again, the whole focus of this is to teach us how to live better, to to follow Jesus in a culture that does not like the followers of Jesus. And so we have to recognize the cultural whether it be church culture or the world's culture, we have to recognize the culture's counterfeit fruit so that we can avoid it. But then that's not enough. We also have to recognize and learn how to live our faith out in a way that honors God and what he has commanded of us, but also shows others the love and salvation of Jesus. Our lives should be a testimony to the gospel, the good news that Jesus came. He died on a cross to save us from our sins and he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death. So how do we live like that? How do we live that kind of lifestyle? You know, we want to make sure that we're doing that. And so here is a preview. That brings us to the second passage that I told you to turn to today, uh, Titus chapter three. Titus, uh, while you're finding Titus chapter three, Titus was a young pastor. Uh, he, He had been mentored by Paul. And now Paul writes this letter to Titus to just encourage him and give him good instruction and advice on how to pastor, how to shepherd the people that Titus is working with. And in chapter three, we've already read verse one, but we're gonna read it again. He, he alludes to government and how we interact with government, but then he goes a step further and gives us a, a laundry list of ways that we are to live in this culture that doesn't like us very much. Because believe me, when Paul wrote the book of Titus, the government and the cultures of each city in the Roman Empire were resisting Christians. They thought Christians were foolish. 
They thought that they uh, were, were a cult. They, they, they thought that they were anti-Roman and, and all of these things. And so Paul gives Titus instruction on how to lead his people to truly follow Jesus in radical faith. And here, I want you to look at what he instructs Titus here. We're gonna read Titus 3, verses one through nine. It says this, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Now listen what he continues to say, to speak evil of no one, good or bad, friend or enemy, we are not supposed to be speaking evil or slanderous or malicious or mocking those around us. Continuing verse two, avoid quarreling. We're not supposed to be fighting with one another. To be gentle, ooh, that's a hard one. Americans struggle to be gentle people and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. The fact of the matter is, is Paul gives Timothy a beautiful list of some of the things that we're called to do as the followers of Jesus. We have a hope that no one else has. There is no religion or, or, or worldview or ideology uh, or political party that can offer the hope that is found in Jesus. Jesus is the only way and we have that hope. So our lives in return should reflect, it should, it should be an example of the hope that we have within us. That's what Paul tells us in, for, in T Titus chapter three. He says that we're supposed to be gentle. He says that we're, we're supposed to be honoring people. We're supposed to submit to the authorities. He says that we're su never supposed to be malicious or hurtful or hateful to people, that we're supposed to be loving one another, another not quarreling. And the hard part is, is that's human nature. Our sin nature drives us to those things. And so for the next few weeks, starting next, next week, we're going to dive into some of these radical ideas that kind of 
push against our American values or what the culture teaches us we should do. And we're gonna look at what Jesus tells us to do when it comes to living in the culture that doesn't necessarily like the followers of Jesus all that much. It's pretty radical. But coming back to this counterfeit fruit, will you place your trust in God or will, will you fall into this poisonous, this spiritually poisonous counterfeit fruit that has been designed by the devil to deceive you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer on this because one way or the other, we're all affected by politics and government. There's no way around that. So let's go to the Lord and, and ask him to live out what his word instructs us in regards to government and politics. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for this opportunity where we can come together here online and we can worship, we can pray, and we can, we can hear your word. And Lord, today I pray that we would remove political divisiveness from our lives, that, that, that we would not sever relationships, that, that we would not be worried about uh, what people believe politically, but we would be more concerned with where their heart is in salvation, whether they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Let that be the primary concern. Remove this divisiveness, this, this unhealth that we have in our hearts. We all struggle with it to some extent. And we pray that you would help us through your Holy Spirit to remove this divisiveness from us. Forgive us for the ways that we've let it damage relationships. Lord, we pray that we would trust what your word says about how we live our lives, especially uh, when it comes to living our lives in respect to the government. Lord, help us to, to not place our trust, our faith in, in government, but to, to place our trust, our faith in you. Help us to recognize that every government official, every government leader is in their position because you placed them there and that you are the one that is directing their ways ultimately for your plan and your purpose. And in light of all of that, we pray that as your word commands that we would submit and honor those that you've placed over us in authority and that we would pray for them lifting them to you. Lord, not slandering them, not hating them, but instead recognizing that you have a plan and purpose for them, just like you have a plan and purpose for us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you so much that you have blessed us in this amazing country. And we pray that you would help us to be part of the cure uh, of the, the, a cure against the, the divisiveness of our culture rather than being part of the problem. Use us through your Holy Spirit to be the light of hope in this world of darkness. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.